Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Let's get started. Today we're going to dive into a few verses in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church and find that God puts all men into one of three categories. We should ask today, what category am I in? Why is one better than the rest? And who can really judge me to know this but God? Please listen closely as we will answer these questions and many more in today's 20-minute Bible study. Here's our scripture reading for today. It comes from 1 Corinthians 2 and it's verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. And again, that was 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15. So before attempting to interpret any scripture, we always use the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that we created to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, SP, audience A, context C, before attempting an explanation, E. So let's go ahead and use the SPACE method on our scripture reading for today. Okay, Jordan, so we start with the speaker, and the speaker here is the Apostle Paul. Paul indicates himself as the author in chapter 1, verse 1, when he says, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And history also tells us that Paul founded the church at Corinth in Greece about the year AD 50, towards the end of his second missionary journey. So from there, he moved on to be with the Ephesians, and it was while staying in Ephesus that he received upsetting news of the community in Corinth regarding jealousies and rivalry and immoral behavior that prompted him, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, to write his first letter to Corinth. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, AD 50 is very interesting, Andy, because we're talking about the Apostle Paul very late in his life, and, you know, we know that Paul was the apostle of apostles. He, he was the university-educated top student of the higher things of God. And now he's a mature senior man. You know, he also around this time wrote the pastoral epistles to his protege, Timothy. So, I mean, this is the, the cream of the crop of, of human possible knowledge at a very late point in his life. Yeah, absolutely. If anybody knew the deeper things of God, it was Paul. The audience is the church at Corinth, as we've mentioned. You know, Paul addresses them in chapter 1, verse 2, by saying to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And he also adds to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And then he goes on to confirm in verse 4 that the church in Corinth was saved when he writes, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. So it's obvious that the Corinthian church had its share of problems if you read those letters, but to Paul, none probably worse than the division that they had among themselves concerning judgment, as he addresses right off the bat in chapter 1, verse 10, and this is important 
uh, in terms of context as well. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and, key phrase, in the same judgment. Yeah, Jordan, this is important because, first of all, we see, you know, this is 10 verses in, you know, probably the first page of his letter here to the Church of Corinth. And right away he gets to the point, he says, listen, you guys have an issue. There's divisions because you guys don't agree on judgment. And we're going to find out today as we study that there was different things happening in the church that caused this rift. Yeah, go on, Annie. Tell us about the context now. We'll go to see what is the context. Uh, and I think we have to go back a few verses uh, before and then also after to build this foundation. For sure. So a couple points here. Paul was discussing the differences between wisdom and foolishness from the world's perspective and then God's perspective and how these roles were actually reversed. They were opposite of each other. We pick up here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, where it says, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Jordan, so I wanted to discuss here why God opposes the world's wisdom and its pitfalls. For instance, let's look at what the world considers, you know, creation, for instance, might come from science, whereas to God and the truth that we know today, creation is based on faith of what the Word says. Yeah, I mean, we, we can go into a lot of different things here, and we can get pretty deep. And I, you know, I don't think we have time to get into even like intelligent design, which I think is where you're leading. But um, I, I just want to point out to our listeners, and this is a very simple point. Think about even what your parents thought of was scientifically proven, and then how, how many of those things are now have been totally upended and totally changed. Even Einstein, guys like that, science is always changing. Things are completely reversing. I'll, I'll just give you a really, really small example. Anyone who's paying attention may have noticed that when, when I was growing up in the 80s, everything was low fat. Every food was low fat because fat was the enemy. Right. Now it's completely reversed. Science has completely changed medical science. Actually, if there's healthy fat, fat could be good for you. And the low fat stuff probably caused the obesity epidemic. So that's a very, very, very small everyday example to show you how science is constantly changing. So when you read this in the Bible, you, you have to go, now let's zoom up to the 300,000 foot level where God sits and realize that to, to him, our, our science looks foolish because, of course, he's omniscient, omnipotent. He knows all these things that we're doing. It's like, it's like children playing, you know? Yeah, great points. So moving on in chapter three, Paul is again trying to unite this schism among the Corinthians that it obviously arose because of their differences and opinions regarding judgment and salvation, like he mentioned in verse 10. So, you know, some of the spiritually mature church members obviously understood more than others, and I believe that this spawned jealousy from boasting. Mm, good point. Um, if we go to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 3 to 8, this actually is being supported in the statement that Paul says, For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So I think what Paul is doing here is he's trying to, 
you know, distinguish here that obviously there's people that know a little more in Corinth, and there's some new Christians maybe that don't. And because, you know, maybe the ones that were wiser spiritually, they might have kind of lorded over these these other new Christians. You know, it caused this this division, this rift among them. And Paul's trying to say, look, regardless of how you came into the church at Corinth, there's one God, there's one Savior, Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, it's up to you how you walk, how you live, that is going to determine what your reward is or what your rank is in the future. Yeah, and I think uh, you know that, that's all important because as we get to E explanation here, we're we're going to be talking about the three different types of man, and yeah, you know, even if you're of two types, you're you're going to have this war between the the um, the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit, which which is where we're going in today's lesson. So you know, there there are three keys to unlocking today's scripture, and again, I'll, I'll read it again. It says, "But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one." And those three keys are understanding who is a natural man, understanding who is a carnal man, understanding who is a spiritual man. So the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man, and of course we're using man in the generic sense to mean man and woman. Right. So you know, God has placed every man into one of these three categories, and let's go over them one by one, Andy, to identify what they are and why knowing the difference is so vital in our, our context will come out as well. Sure, Jordan. So we'll start with key number one, which is the natural man. 1 Corinthians 2.14 describes this type of man, and it says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So, as we can clearly see, the natural man does not accept the things or truths regarding our Lord Jesus Christ. He considers them foolish or nonsense. And, you know, this is a non-Christian. It's including those of other religions and atheists as well. And verse 14 wraps it up by expressing that to understand and believe, one must have the ability to spiritually appraise the value of salvation. Yeah, and I think that's where you were going earlier when you want to talk about science and faith, because unfortunately, even though, by the way, and, and everyone should pay attention to this, science as a movement, the, the idea of science came out of people of faith. And, and don't ever let anyone make you think otherwise. Yep. All of the early famous Sir Francis Bacon, Sir Isaac, Isaac Newton, Newton all, all, these, all these men were men of faith, and they, they looked at science as being compatible with their faith, not as contradictory to right. it. What happened is many years later, atheism crept in, and now science is synonymous with atheism. You can't believe in God and believe in science. And that, that is not true. Uh, the scientific method is just a tool. Yeah. And I think we, we've gotten, you know, that there's a lot of politicization of science these days, scientism. Anyway, the point being that um, I, th I think what you were driving here is that the main point being that if you're coming from this atheistic science perspective, then everything about God is going to sound like foolishness or nonsense, as we just read, because it's all myths or whatever you think. But, yeah. you know, d don't be intimidated or don't have any fear to be able to reconcile science and faith because they can coexist. And that's just a political thing. So I just wanted to point that out. I think you were going no, there earlier good. when you pointed that out. That's really good. And I think from God's perspective, like you mentioned earlier, you know, from 30,000 miles up in the sky, that's exactly what God wants. God doesn't want anyone to be able to prove. He doesn't want to bring anybody into his family that if you've proved that he existed or proved right, that Jesus rose from the dead, right? it's always got to be by faith. That's the secret formula. It's believing in something you can't feel, you can't taste, you can't see, you can't touch. Just having faith in the word, the living word. And that's really what separates who a Christian is and who isn't. And we also now see this exciting thing where is that once you transition into a, uh, a, a spiritual level of man or a person, you gain the superpower of appraisal. And Andy, maybe you could talk about what that word exactly means, because it, it, doesn't, it isn't 100% clear to the English listener 
what the uh, apostle meant by spiritually appraised. Yeah, so the word for appraisal in the Greek is actually the word anakrino. And Vine's expository dictionary defines its meaning to be to judge or to discern. So we can safely say that only a man with God's spirit can even accept this truth. You know, even this receiving of discernment is only, it's something we have to remember, it's only by God's unmeasured favor. The fact that we can discern and understand and receive God's word is because God wanted us to understand it. And Ephesians 2 verse 8 teaches us that, and we have to remember, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And this gift of grace has been given to us by God's will via predestination from the foundations of the earth. Ephesians 1 5 supports this by saying, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Yeah, so just to sum it up with key one, the natural man cannot accept Christianity because it's only by God's grace and calling that one can believe in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. As Jesus himself said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Amen. So moving on to key two, we're going to look at the carnal man. This is man number two. And um, it's called the carnal man in the New King James. Okay. King James. That's more of a traditional way to, to say it. So we see here that this type of man is saved, but he's considered a spiritual infant in Christ. Right. So let's hear what Paul wrote about the carnal man in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, as per the New King James Version Bible. And he says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food. And the King James actually uses the word meat there for solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it, the meat. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So here we see Paul is calling this group of Christians carnal for a few reasons. You know, the obvious one was because they had envy and strife among themselves, but Paul also explicitly says he only fed the milk and not the meat or the solid food because they're not able to receive it yet. Right. And you know, the milk that he did feed them represents the doctrines of initial salvation or the first coming of Christ. The solid food, the meat, as you say, uh, which Paul could not feed them, were doctrines concerning the second coming of Christ when Jesus will return and establish his thousand-year kingdom on earth. So we see that distinction, and we've talked about it before. It comes out of Hebrews, um, you know, which also describes the carnal man, this whole thing about milk and meat. Um, for example, you can look at Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. Andy, if you want to read that. Sure. I mean, uh, Hebrews 5, 11 to 14 describes the carnal man, and it says, You have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food or meat. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, hmm. for he is an infant. But solid food or meat is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So, Jordan, through these verses, we have evidence that some Christians either forgot or better yet, never learned pure doctrine regarding these elementary principles of Christianity. You know, and because of this, they remain spiritual infants, like Paul said. They never mature and they never progress into learning what the solid food or their meat doctrines are. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, this whole typology of milk and meat because it speaks to what side you're feeding, right? So in the case of a carnal Christian, this key two here, they have obviously not fed the spiritual side enough uh, milk. Right. And of course, they've never even gotten close to the meat. So that side of them is starving, and the carnal side is winning. That side is what they're feeding and getting fed, so the carnal side, the flesh side, wins. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a church right now, and 
You know, glory goes to God for that. But if you're in a church right now and the pastor's constantly talking about the cross and talking about how, you know, living, living righteously will, will bless your life here on earth and it'll help your career, it'll help your family, and that's all well and good. But scripture is trying to get our focus not on the earth, but looking up Great towards the, the millennium. Right. Because what Christians are not hearing from the pulpit is that living righteously and striving and, and doing the right thing and staying in the word and confessing your sin and going through the tortures of life sometimes, there is a greater purpose. God has a much bigger plan that has nothing to do with this age now, but the reward will come. And that actually gives us hope. And that's the, the hope is, is key to fueling us to stay on the right path. Yeah. So this third man that you're, you're alluding to, the, the third key today that we're trying to be, we should strive to be, is the spiritual man. Let's start off by reading how the Apostle Paul addresses the significance of knowing wisdom for the mature, or spiritual men, at Corinth in chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. He writes, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they'd understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Yeah, so what we see there is a perfect example of Paul actually focusing on the future. Paul is saying in those, those few verses, and we often quote these verses, that God has something prepared that no money, no victory, no lifestyle, no healing can compare to. There is a, a, a time that hopefully we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ back on the earth for a thousand years, serving him faithfully and being able to you know, participate, or like we talked in, in days past in other lessons, hopefully being joint heirs with Christ. That's something that, that's our goal. That's our purpose. So sometimes we can easily, you know, kind of diverge into worrying more about our worldly conditions now. And, and because of that, we lose focus on what the bigger picture is. And that's what Paul's trying to say. There's something much bigger that you can't even imagine what God has prepared for, for us if we choose to love him with all of our heart. And notice that this is non-obvious, right? In the passage that I just read, he says that it's, he calls it hidden, in fact, and we often talk about it being a mystery. Mm, like, you really have to seek this to find it, to the point where even the rulers, you know, all the famous, maybe let's put it into today's language, you know, the most famous celebrity, the president, whoever it is, may be, you know, the president of this country, the, the premier of that country, the, the smartest people on earth, um, the smartest scientists on earth, uh, you know, the, the Bible is indicating us to hear that, that they, they can miss this. This is how, this is how deep this is, sure. how not obvious it is. Sure. So, you know, with the spiritual man, this is also the type of man that is saved and he's spiritually minded. So by being spiritually minded, he can discern right doctrine from wrong doctrine, Jordan. He, can, he knows the difference between correct teaching versus incorrect. And again, this is all by God's grace. And going back to today's study verse, it reads, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself does appraise by no one. And there's that word appraise again. And right. in this context, God is telling us that if you are a spiritual man, you can judge or discern all things, which means any teaching, any person, any doctrine. And on the flip side of that verse, God concludes by telling us that he himself is appraised, the spiritual man, judged or discerned by no one. 
And that's correct. If you are a spiritual man, meaning you understand the milk and the meat doctrines of God's scripture, no teaching is over your head, no person can see through you, and all false doctrines are easily recognizable. Yeah, and the very next verse reads, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we see a foundational Christian truth that no one, however much wisdom God gives that person, can even dare to instruct God, of course, on anything. God's omniscient, sovereign, perfect in every way. Um, And then interestingly, at the end of this verse, Paul reverts attention back to himself and to other believers that he considered wise and mature. He said, he knew Christians who understood meat doctrines have the, quote, mind of Christ. Notice he carefully said Christ and not the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that title Christ always uh, indicates Jesus' second coming as king. Christ means king. So whenever you see Christ Jesus, just place it with King Jesus, king of the Jews during the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year kingdom. You know, that the spiritual man, as we've been saying, has a desire and anticipation for Jesus Christ to come back, or Christ Jesus to come back, to rule and reign with the hope that he or she will be part of it. So, Jordan, here are some everyday takeaways from today's passage of Scripture. For starters, today's lesson was to show how the spiritual man who knows and understands the kingdom truths is on a higher disciple's level. However, the spiritual man by no means is off the hook for the decisions he makes in his life. Luke 12, 48 teaches us, From everyone who has been given much, much shall be required. And though no one can judge or discern or appraise the value of a spiritual man, 1 Corinthians 11.31, and it says, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Yeah, the spiritual man received a higher calling that God has granted. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 13.11, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. And just for our listeners to know, our ministry is dedicated to sharing what the Bible teaches regarding the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, a spiritual man, a spiritual person, must know the difference and correctly discern the two. Second Timothy 2.15 eloquently teaches to be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's 20mbs, as in minute Bible studies, dot O-R-G. Our website has a free archive of all lessons, links to our Facebook account and discussion forum, ways to support this ministry, and more. You can also sign up to receive an email whenever we upload a new Bible study. Our first email will even include a link to a special series titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. This eye-opening set of Bible lessons is our gift to you when you join our community. So be sure to visit us at 20mbs.org. While you're there, please also consider donating in support of Give20, our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We all know studying the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth, yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. That's why we've created 20-Minute Bible Studies. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. And we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. To join the Give 20 initiative, visit our website and click Donate. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple 
to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. A hopeless case, an empty space, if not for grace. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.